every asset that we acquire should be a great asset that in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, we're going to make a fortune on it. We're going to do all the taxable things we can do to depreciate it and yada, yada, and probably 1031 exchange, if that makes sense. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention DoorDevil. You know, you know what? I need to mention DoorDevil. I need to mention DoorDevil to you. It's not just a want. It's a need because you need this. DoorDevil, quite simply, defends your home against kick-in burglary attacks. They happen frequently. There are 1.4 million homes that are broken into every year, and a lot of them are done through kick-ins. If you've got a home security system, then props to you. I'm glad you've got that, and that's important. But it doesn't prevent the bad people from kicking in your door, whether it's your front door, your back door, your side door. You need something like the door devil. And DoorDevil is the best in the business when it comes to providing proof that it works. You can go to DoorDevil.com and even watch a video with Terry Bradshaw talking about it. And you can see how it works. It's a very simple product to install. But if you're not into that, then you can just hire a handy person and they can they can install it for you. Very simple. Put it inside the door frame of your front door, your back door, every door you have. And you can defend your home against the kick-in burglary attacks. It's needed. In addition, this is my brother's company. So it's near and dear to my heart. And because it's my brother's company, I'm able to offer you an exclusive discount because he was so kind to do so. You can go when you check out your uh, purchase at doordevil.com. And there's going to be a little field. You enter the word best ever. No space. Just one word, best, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R, and you'll get a 20% discount on your purchase. So go to doordevil.com, go buy it, enter best ever, and secure your home against kick-in burglary attacks. There are so many testimonials on the website. You can read them from police officers, from a woman who is being, uh, her house is being attacked from an enraged ex-husband, and the door devil defended that attack. Uh, He didn't get in. There's like 20 different testimonials from police officers on the DoorDevil. Go buy it. Defend your home against burglary kick-in attacks. Go to DoorDevil.com and enter the word best ever whenever you check out. And you'll get 20% off on your purchase. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad Porta, and a whole bunch of others. And with us today, I am pleased and honored to introduce our best ever guest, Tom Ferry. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing wonderful, Joe. Thanks for having me on the line. My pleasure and looking forward to digging in and learning more about your business and then also hearing some insights that you have to share Tom is the number one real estate coach and speaker. He is a New York Times bestselling author of Life! Exclamation mark by Design. I know the punctuation there was intentional, so I had to give it some oomph. He is the CEO of Tom Ferry, Your Coach, which is an international real estate coaching and training company. He's got over 10,000 hours of personal coaching experience and based in sunny Orange County, California. You can check out his company at his name, TomFerry.com. 
With that being said, Tom, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on right now? I would say that some people were raised on milk and cookies when they were growing up. I was raised on Earl Nightingale, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, my father, who is a iconic real estate trainer for the last 45 years. And all that means is I basically had my entire life professionally and personally been about helping people get more of what they want, helping them eliminate limiting beliefs, creating the right marketing strategies, creating the right sales tactics. And whether that's buying properties or the vast majority of my time, Joe, I spend today working with about 4,300 of our clients in the U.S. and about 6,000 around the world, all over Australia, New Zealand, and Europe, helping these real estate practitioners be better for their clients, helping them sell an average of 36 homes a year, which in most states is about 10 times the national average. So today, we do 130 seminars around the world. I've got 151 business coaches. As I mentioned, we coach about 4,300 people here in the U.S., and they are some of the most recognizable brand-named real estate professionals from TV shows to the guy on the streets who's just selling 50, 60 homes a year and helping lots of consumers. So that's basically where I spend all of my time. Rewinding just a bit, and then we're going to fast forward to where you're at right now, but rewinding actually more than just a bit. How did you get to this point? And I'm going to ask you a candid question, and it is not meant to qualify you, but it's just for the listeners who might not be familiar with you because we hear coaching all the time and sometimes a negative connotation towards it. So what qualifies you to have the coaching practice and coach these individuals for that you're coaching? That was a really valid question in 1991 when myself and my father and a few of us in the business realized that this real estate coaching thing that at that time, Joe, didn't exist. There was lots of therapists. There was lots of people in the self-help space. But we were the very first in the real estate space to basically stake a claim and say, we're going to hold people accountable to their goals, to their KPIs, track and measure their performance, track and measure their results, and give them the skills they need. And at the end of the day, hold people to the fire to do what they're supposed to do. So in 1991, consider I'm 21 years old. Mm -hmm. I had been a salesperson for three or four years. And prior to that was kicked out of five high schools and got a GED to get out of school and never went to college. So when I said, I'm a coach, half the people just looked at me like they blew a whistle and they said, football, baseball, basketball, what do you mean? (laughs) And I said, no, I'm I'm a business coach. And they, in 1991, guess what they still said? What does that mean? I said, well, I help you set goals. I help you reverse engineer and break down the marketing tactics, the calls, the contacts, the leads, the appointments, all of the marketing, all of the systems, all the processes. And as soon as I got into that, people were like, Oh, and then I just do a little simple SWOT analysis, and next thing you know, people are like, oh, okay, I get this. You can help me basically identify my problems and solve them in a faster version than I could on my own. That makes sense. I've always had a manager, a mentor. So, you know, naturally, entrepreneurs gravitated toward us, certainly the real estate industry, lenders, title reps, some people like your extraordinary listeners that were investors at the time, they would gravitate toward us because they wanted to have someone that wasn't a therapist, but somebody that was really there to help push and guide and direct on their goals. So I will tell you, starting from, call it, end of 1991 to this morning on my last two calls, I've now done about 27,000 hours 
of business coaching, just one-on-one, over the phone, or, you know, face-to-face, but not including doing seminars, not including writing books, not including conference calls, just me and a client as an example. And whether some people buy into the whole 10,000 hours to mastery, right? I like it. I like the concept. It certainly looks good when I add up my hours, but at the end of the day, like, here's the real deal. I never went out and got a real estate license. I never went out and sold homes. I didn't do that, and yet, I have the number one real estate training and coaching company in the world. Some people are like, huh? Like, really? And then everybody else says, look at his track record. Look at his clients. Tony Robbins didn't sell real estate, and he's got people there. Brian Tracy didn't sell real estate. He's got people there. Barbara Corcoran sold real estate, and yet now she is on the Shark Tank and investing in companies. Well, she wasn't investing in companies. That's not how she made her profession. So again, at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to Does the individual have swagger? Does the individual have confidence? And do you have a track record? In that case, I think I have all three. And I can tell you, I have had a business coach through the Tony Robbins program for three years. So I wholeheartedly believe in coaching. I'm channeling kind of the thoughts that perhaps people who aren't familiar with you might have. So you mentioned the confidence, the swagger, and the experience. When you were first getting started, Let's go back to 1991, 21 years old, and you were telling people about SWOT analysis. When you were first getting started, totally understand how you could have the swagger and how you could have the confidence, but how did you sell in that experience component? In the beginning, I will tell you, probably like every person that's listening now, you've got the four levels of learning. I guarantee knowing you, you've got some people that are unconscious competence. They look at a deal and they know yes or no. They're just that good at it. And then you might have some people that can't even figure out what's a good deal, what's not a good deal, what's a good part of town to buy in, what's a bad part of town to buy in. In the very beginning, if I told you that I was anything less than an unconscious incompetent, I didn't even know, Joe, that I didn't know, Mm -hmm. which also, by the way, gave me the insight to say, well, since I don't know what I'm doing, and they don't know what they're doing, then if I have a track, a process that I believe in, if there is a strategic methodology, a systematic approach that I believe in, if my belief is strong enough, then I can deal with far more no's than when you get a yes, then I did what every good marketer did. I asked for reviews, I got people to write me testimonials, eventually that became video testimonials, infomercial type style, if you will, So in the beginning, being very straight with you, I had no clue what I was doing until we said, here is a systematic approach to get somebody from point A to point B. They need a plan. They need to reverse that into the KPIs, the numbers, the leading and lagging indicators. And then, gosh, can I hold them accountable to behaviors? Can I help them eliminate the limiting beliefs that they have to move forward? And in the beginning, it was almost like a bad scientist in a laboratory where today with 4,300 members and 151 business coaches, it is far more scientific than it is artistic. Back then, it was way more art, trying to figure it out, where now I have the person fill out the evaluation, we look at the system, we look at their market, we look at the total addressable market of transactions available in their area, we do a skill set analysis, and we basically say, look, I can get you from doing 18 sales a year to 36 homes a year, but you need to add these two methodologies in terms of marketing. You need to improve these two skill sets or your cost per lead and your cost per appointment and your cost to convert will be too high and you'll lose. Hmm. You with me? It's science today 
but that's the advantage of starting in 1991 and now being here in 2016. And looking over that progress from 91 to 2016, if you could look back on one moment in time and you had to pick a tipping point for your company, what would that point be? There was multiple tipping points along the way. I'll tell you so you're clear. I joined a family business in 1989. I helped take that business through, call it 15 years of being there, from basically a small family business, probably like a lot of the people that are listening now, running a family house or they have a job and they do some investments on the side and they're looking to break through the next level. Well, we had this family business that was generating, call it five, six million dollars a year in, in revenue. And it was the business itself was basically, you couldn't control anything. I couldn't control where my speaker was going to be on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I could never control how many people were going to be in the room, and I could never control the conversion. So in my mind, looking at the work that we were doing in coaching, I turned all of that same sort of analytical nature on our own business, whether it was the 80-20 principle, which we're all familiar with, as cliche as that sounds, when you look and say, 80% of my time and energy is being spent here only to create 20% of my revenue and 80% of my revenue is doing this. Let's just switch them. So that was a game changer and and running that business and hiring the right team and developing the right people around us. We took that from $5 million to $45 million and at 45 million, 50 distinctions along the way. But then I left and started my own business. Okay. And started with nothing and wanted to build the whole darn thing up again. So this new business I'm in now, I've had for 14 years. Got it. That makes sense. And that family business in 1989 was your family's business? Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yep. Father, it. and then eventually I brought my older brother in. I brought my little sister, my little brother, and next thing you know, all their husbands and wives, and about 160 team members. So it was not a small business, but in California, when you're doing 30 or $40 million a year in revenue and you've got... 170 people on your payroll. It's a good sized business. So you went from that business and you started your own business about 14 years ago. You and some family members grew it from five to 45 million. And then you left, want to start your own thing. What are some takeaways that you got from the first venture that you immediately implemented in the venture you're doing right now? For anybody out there, I am a proponent of All business is innovation and marketing, everything, innovation and marketing. And my underlying belief is a system will produce what a system will produce, nothing more, nothing less. So when we started, we actually asked ourselves, I looked for, what are we going to innovate around? What's going to be our marketing message in what was becoming, Joe, a pretty crowded space? I mean, if you were paying attention in the late 90s, on a Tuesday overnight, Tony Robbins started his coaching program, and I was actually just at UPW with my 17- and 15-year-old, so been around Tony since I was 18. Fantastic to watch him do it. Everybody started a coaching program, but the big game-changer was overnight, about 90,000 therapists in the country realized that business coaches were eating away at their clientele and revenue, and overnight, they all became business coaches. So suddenly, the waters got a little muddy. So all of us on the line are smart marketers. We know that we've got to find a unique hook. So when we started the business, I looked and said, okay, the year prior, 16 of the top 100 real estate agents 
on the Wall Street Journal top 100 agents in the world list were all my personal clients. So 16 of the top 100 agents, I'm their business coach. And I asked myself, what do all these men and women have in common? Well, if you looked at our space, and, and I know every person out there is thinking like, yeah, my competition, what's their thing? You should always be, what's my competition's thing? And how do I differentiate myself from their thing and not isolate my total addressable market down to nothing, but instead make it nice and big? I said, the thing that my clients all have in common is that there's no wrong way for them to generate a customer. That they and I all follow the same philosophy that every potential customer is a great potential customer. And in the real estate world at that time, there was basically my old business, family business, and the methodology in their mindset was you've got a cold call and you need to prospect. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that, there was the whole buy referral movement started by my good friend Jay Abraham, who would be a great interview for you, wonderful guy, and a few speakers that took that and Joe made that their calling card. So I came out and I said, there's no wrong way to do it. There's 38 different lead generation vehicles that will get you the listings and sales that you desire. But the key is you have to know yourself. You got to know your market. You got to know your skill sets. So you're doing what is your natural DNA. And when I came out in the marketplace with that, it was so clear now for the community of potential prospects to say, okay, if I want to prospect, I go with guy A. If I want to work referrals, I go with guy B. But if I believe that I can blend a whole bunch of different marketing methodologies to be successful, like I can do open houses and I can do internet leads and I can work my referrals and I can go after expired listings and, 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 and I can arbitrage all the Zillows and Realtors and Trulias of the world, then you know what? Tom Ferry's my guy. So that was a game changer, right? The biggest other game changer, and there's been so many along the way, and everyone on the line knows, in 2007, Joe, I get excited, man, so you got to just say to me, <laughs> Keep shut rolling. up and Keep ask another rolling. question because I just, you know, I get fired up. Yeah. In 2007, the market was falling apart, and I was super inspired because I knew the market was shifting in 2005, so I started pushing all of our clients into distressed REOs. I went out and worked with every bank and said, I have all the best real estate agents. Let's get them these REO accounts. And I was able to help thousands of agents make that happen, which kept some of them afloat and in the business. But all the while, I'm always fixated on where are the eyeballs going and what are the consumers doing next, right? Like I don't have to be first to market, but man, I don't ever want to miss the boat. That's that innovation piece. So I'm on the golf course, it's 2007, and my buddy says to me, hey, I got a friend in town he wants to play. I'm like, cool, awesome, what's his name? Hi, David. David, nice to meet you. David, what do you do? He said, oh, I run a division of a company called Google. I'm like, yeah, I'm familiar with them. Cool, what do you do? And he basically said, Joe, get this, I'm in charge of media and content. To which my response was, awesome, you're my riding mate. Would you like me to carry your clubs, and do you want a cocktail, and how about a back massage, right? Because <laughs> I was going to pick this guy's brain. So we get in the cart, and he says, so tell me about your business. And I said, well, you know, I support real estate practitioners, and I distribute my content this way. I have a daily podcast that I'm doing, and please don't take any of this personally, Joe, because this was the time, and he had an agenda. So you with me? It was 2007, and he had an agenda. Yep. I said, I'm doing the daily podcast, and I'm about to cut a deal with BlackBerry for exclusive content, which probably got him even more fired up. 
And he turned to me and he said, and I quote, podcasts are stupid. <laughs> you with me, Joe? Like, so remember, it's 2007 and he has an agenda. Yep. So I say, I've been doing this for a year, every day. I'm up to like 2,000 listeners. I'm totally excited about this. And he goes, listen to me, podcasts are stupid. And I'm like, what? I go, well, what do you recommend? He goes, hey, last year I bought a company called YouTube. Are you familiar with them? And I said, huh, yeah, okay. Started my YouTube channel within probably two weeks. And today that YouTube channel has evolved twice. And I put out a weekly video that, of course, Joe, you know, is then converted to iTunes podcast. It's in print. It's on Medium. It's on my LinkedIn page. It's on Facebook. We do the multi-channel sort of uh, strategic approach to our content as you do. And let me tell you, that move was the game changer because all of a sudden I would get phone calls from the biggest real estate company in London or John McGraw in Sydney, Australia. Hey, mate, we just watched 10 of your shows. We want you to come over here and teach that to our people. And all of a sudden, because I was putting out great, valuable content for people, the phone just blew up. And from basically 2007 to two shows that I recorded today, we've never stopped. Now, I will tell you, and you know this because you've been doing this for a long time, a lot of my contemporaries got mad at me because I was, quote, unquote, giving all the good stuff away for free. But I'm old school, man. I believe in Seth Godin. Whoever adds the most value creates the most trust. And last time I checked, you don't earn customers without creating trust. So I just keep delivering value just as you do. So that was a long answer to your question. That's exactly what we're looking for. A follow-up question comes to mind. What are things you look for or look at so that the best ever listeners can look for or look at those things as well? It's going to sound silly, but... I certainly look at what's trending on iTunes, the App Store. I think that's important to pay attention to. You know, what are people downloading? What are they interested in? I spend a lot of time with multiple chief economists in and out of real estate around the country. I brought them in a value that if I call Joe, they answer and I say, boy, I'm a little concerned about the election cycle and I'm concerned that the market started to recover in 2010. Here we are in 2015. What do you think is going to happen? Is the world going to fall apart in 17 like every other seven-year run? And when you get to get on the phone with the chief economist of Bank of America or Merrill Lynch or Zillow, Leslie Appleton Young here in California, and they share some of the other data that the average person doesn't get access to, and then I simplify it and share it. So that's one way. But you know what it is? I read and I talk to, oh, I don't know, 50,000 people a year, and I ask a lot of questions. What are you sensing right now in the market? What are you seeing in terms of activity? When a buyer walks in the house, do they walk in with their iPhone out or do they just walk in blindly? You start to see that at the end of the day, we're all humans and we are behavioral little junkies and it's pretty obvious the direction people are going. And when you look at things like VR and AI and robotics, whether that stuff really impacts all of us on the line in the next two years, five years, 10 years, if Magic Leap, all of you should just go to the website Magic Leap and just check it out. If that's going to become our reality, I just want to watch it, observe it, Joe. And then when it's time to package that and bring it to my audience so they're ahead of the curve, I do so. So it's a lot of studying. It's a lot of talking to people. It's a lot of looking at the behaviors of what buyers are doing today and what sellers are doing beyond the obvious every seller wants to sell for high and every buyer wants to deal. And then really quickly, what's next based on those observations and those conversations you've had? 
In the residential real estate space, I'll give you on the insight that I've been pushing my clients on. There are five or six major trends happening, and I don't know if this will be of interest to the group, but as everyone that's listening, if you're in the business of investing in real estate, then you're in business. So a couple of the big trends that are happening, number one, we're moving from a solo entrepreneur market to a team market where everyone that's productive is gravitating towards the development of a team. And really what that means is they're going from, I'm a general who has to do everything to a team of experts. And we all know a team just simply outproduces an individual all day, every day. Like I don't want to go to a doctor's office and be checked in at the front desk by the surgeon and then have the surgeon put me on the scale, then have the surgeon check my blood pressure, then have the surgeon come in and say, okay, now let's talk about it. I expect those things to be done by somebody else. That's a major trend that's happening all throughout real estate. One of the massive, massive changes is today the squeeze of the real estate commission. And what's fascinating, especially for some of your investor friends on the line, would it shock you to hear that more and more agents that can have a measurable degree of separation, numbers and data to back up their ability to sell a home for more, to sell it in less time, and do it with a five-star review on Zillow, are in many cases charging 7% as the listing commission, offering out 2.5% to the market and retaining the balance because they can, where everybody else around the country is feeling the squeeze, the compression of commissions as an example. And look, that's not a earth-shattering trend, but if you're in the commission business, that's a major issue. If you're an investor, I would be asking myself, am I doing this all by myself or do I have a team? And if I had a team, what are all the roles that I would want filled and how would I find and how would I pay and how would I structure and how would I compensate those experts to do the things that they need to do. The bird dog that goes out and looks at properties, the handyman who works on your team, who fixes up things. Joe, you know the business, I own rental properties, but my wife manages all that stuff, I don't get involved in it. Those are two major trends. I will tell you, when you look at the data, all of you actually should go to Zillow. Zillow, by the way, is one of our marketing sponsors, so is Bank of America. So it's always fun when a kid that barely got out of high school introduces himself and says, my partners are Bank of America and Zillow. It usually makes people go, whoa, Okay, this guy's legit. He's doing something. My friends at Zillow created and just published about 30 days ago. In my 29 years, Joe, I have never seen a more detailed understanding of the generational behaviors of buyers and sellers from millennial all the way up to matures. To me, it should be read by 3 million licensed real estate professionals in the U.S., but my bet is if 2% actually read it, I'd be shocked. And yet, guys like you and I, we could create 15 seminars just empowering our customers with the right data and insight to know what consumers are thinking and doing and how they're acting and how much mobile interactivity and how important it is that if they click on your name on a Facebook ad or on a Zillow ad or on any ad, that the old speed to lead rule of under five minutes really is more like two minutes and the difference between contacting the lead really fast in the appropriate modality of under five minutes, ideally two minutes, 
is the difference between 48 appointments out of 100 inquiries. When you get to 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour, you get two appointments out of the same 100 inquiries. When you start to see that kind of data, you think to yourself, holy blank, I gotta make some changes. Mm-hmm. So I'll send it to you and you can share it with your listeners and I hope they all read it from beginning to end because in many cases, they are that investor consumer that Zillow wrote about. And best ever listeners, I'll put that in the show notes link in this episode. So it magically, if you are listening to this episode, is already there. Okay, quick question. What is your best advice ever for real estate investors? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. One of my mentors, we were talking about mentors before we started this, is a guy named Bill Mitchell. And Bill, if you're in Southern California, you would know a company called the Irvine Company. So Donald Bren bought the Irvine Company, oh, I don't know, 1978, 1979, and probably paid $350 million for this 120,000 acres, Fashion Island, bunch of retail space, bunch of apartment buildings. And from 1978, until today has become one of the richest men in the world because he understands as my stepmom Joe who has never had a job she moved here from Honolulu at 18 years old as a cute little half Russian half Polynesian gal who went to a Robert Allen training how to buy real estate with no money down and God bless her I can't say her age but let's say that she's been getting Social Security for a while has never had a job, and I'm not going to disclose her net worth of real estate, but let's just say that she's probably in the range of 300 units that she owns, plus shopping centers and everything else. She's never had a job. All she does is buy and sell real estate, and it's all she's ever done, and she hasn't had to work for as long as I can remember, but she and I follow the same principles. She taught it to me, and I watched Donald Brand, and I watched my mentor all say the same thing. Everything is a good deal in 20 years. Everything is a good deal in 20 years. I'm not of the opinion of the buy, buy, looking to get rich and get quick appreciation. I am of the opinion that every asset that we acquire should be a great asset that in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, we're going to make a fortune on it. We're going to do all the taxable things we can do to depreciate it and yada, yada, probably 1031 exchange if that makes sense. But a lot of the investors I talk to, Joe, I don't know your audience, but there might be one gal listening right now who's desperate for a deal. Those people make bad decisions. I'd rather buy one thing. I'd be proud to say to my children, hey, you know what? That's yours. We bought it. Come fix it up with me. Come collect the coins out of the coin-operated laundromat, and in 20 years, you're going to be really stoked about this. Mm -hmm. So that would be my one piece of advice. And you guys are far more advanced than I am. So you guys are going to follow the trends of, hey, if a Lowe's is opening up here, or a, a Starbucks is opening up over there, or a Whole Foods is opening up, oh, my God, buy as much as you can. It's not my expertise. So I buy a lot, but I buy for the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love hearing that perspective because, as you can imagine, I get a wide range of perspectives and approaches and Certainly, I think the history is with this approach when you buy and hold for the long run because real estate tends to appreciate over time, assuming you buy in the right place and can keep it capitalized over that period of time. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Let's go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages and talks to your tenants, collects checks, 
and handles all the day-to-day stuff, well, there's a better way. And that better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One will have the conversations over the phone with your tenants whenever they have issues. And it's also a way where the tenants can pay you directly through an online service. Go to securepayone.com or even better yet, shoot them an email. The email is info, info at securepayone.com. That's info at S-E-C-U-R-E-P-A-Y-O-N-E.com. And they've got a free 30-day trial for you. Securepayone.com. Best ever book you've read? Most recently would be Bold by Dr. Peter Diamandis. Best ever personal growth experience. What'd you learn from it? Uh, I would say Brian Tracy event he did for two days. It was July 17th, 1991. He told me I needed to write down everything I wanted, the perfect spouse. And I did. And I met my wife one month later and took me a year and a half of follow-up to close the deal. (laughs) It's very similar. I have, uh, as I mentioned, a life coach and he told me to write down the 22 things I look for in a perfect woman. And it took me about a year and a half to find her and then about a year and a half to actually propose. So actually engage right now. So I love that approach. So I'll tell you the one distinction that I learned later on from one of my business coaches, he said, you know, the thing that you forgot to write down is who do you need to be for that woman to be attracted to you? Mm. That was a distinction I didn't get. And now when I share that story with people, I always say it's easy to write down what you want. But you have to ask yourself, who do I need to be to have that person be attracted to me? Which is always a good thing to align your behaviors towards your best self. Not faking it, but really truly aligning your behaviors to your best self. I like that. I wrote the 22 things I bring to a relationship. So it's not quite who I need to be, but it was 22 things I would bring to a relationship. I love that other perspective because it's nice to think about what we want, what we want, but then wait, we actually have to live up to those expectations to get what we want. What's the best ever deal you've done, whether it's real estate transaction or business in general? Best deal I've ever done. I've done a lot of deals. I'm not a home run guy. I'm a singles and doubles, singles and doubles, steal a few bases and score. So I would say best deal ever was convincing my wife to start the new business and not do it in the garage, which is what she wanted to do. So that'd probably be the biggest and best deal ever. And I would say secondarily, every duplex I've ever bought, like every one of them is the best deal ever because buying them forever and going to hold them forever and hand them over to my kids sometime in the future. So I'd say every piece of real estate ever. Best ever way you like to give back. Thank you. That makes my heart sing. This year, we raised $84,000 for breast cancer awareness in the month of August as a give back. And I do it with my children. I've got a 15-year-old and 17-year-old boy, and I do an annual conference amongst our 130 we do every year. This one was in Las Vegas. I had about 5,000 of my clients. And I said, hey, guys, you know the deal because I do it every year. There's some t-shirts out there. My boys are going to talk to you about them. And my boys get up on stage and they literally say, who knows somebody that has ever had cancer? And every hand goes up. Who knows somebody with breast cancer? Every hand goes up. And he said, we as a family are committed to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. 95% of every dollar goes directly to research. And whether you know someone that's been impacted by breast cancer or not, the breast cancer research is so aggressive, Joe, that it actually helps solve other cancers for other parts of the body. Hmm. So we really got passionate about this. And I basically said to the audience, every t-shirt you buy, 
you're going to buy one and I'm going to basically double whatever money you put in. We raised a bunch of money and that felt good. The year prior, we did Wounded Warriors and raised a lot of money and that felt good. The year prior to that, for two years, two of my closest friends and I and our families got together and we basically said, let's take a percentage of, of what we do and let's give back. And we actually read about 175 at the time, young girls in Ghana, Africa. It's a horrible story and I won't bore you with the, the horrific details, but let's just say that they weren't in a good place. And over the course of the three years, we bought land, we built several buildings, we provided them internet access. And now today, like the best thing ever, because I'm still a part of that board, is getting the phone call saying, we just graduated 22 girls that are now accepted with full ride scholarships to go off to high school. So that kind of stuff. But I'm old school. I want to clean my own doorstep and help the people around me first and foremost, and then do everything we can to make an impact around the world if it if it makes our hearts sing. Mostly it's with children. Mm. Incredible causes. What is the biggest mistake you've made in business or real estate? Oh, my goodness. Okay, do we have like seven more hours? <laughs> um, I don't yeah, think either not, one of us not, has seven more hours. <laughs> I know, I know. But I mean, you know, listen, we learned so much more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. As an entrepreneur, I would say some of the biggest mistakes early on was not recognizing the importance of a tribe and whether the tribe, if you read Seth Godin's book, I love it, old school, but super valuable, not honoring the tribe, understanding the tribe, leading the tribe. I would say the biggest mistake as an executive, because I, you know, I do get to operate multiple companies now and I invest in a lot of companies and advise for companies that we've invested in. That's kind of more my thing, Joe. A lot of people do real estate. My wife loves real estate. I like people and products and companies. That's more my investment strategy. But I will tell you that without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest mistake and something that I had to get over was accepting any level of mediocrity in my environment. Hmm. Like I know today I'm going to walk out of this meeting and there's basically two executives that are going to be told they're on 60 to 90 day probation and if they don't write the ship, they're fired. It is what it is. So I used to give people too much time I'd buy into their bullshit stories of, you don't understand, and this is what I'm dealing with, and it's hard. And look, you have a coach, and you told me what firm they're from, and I respect those guys. That guy made a fortune on one phrase. It is resources versus resourcefulness. <laughs> so I don't stand for people that aren't resourceful. You with me? Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to try something new and different until it works, right? At the end of the day, if it's the person, then we'll try something new there, too. So I'd say those are probably two big mistakes early on that I didn't have the emotional intelligence, the EQ, IQ, LQ, whatever you want to call it, to basically be honest with people and say, hey, you're underperforming and it's not working and you've got this time period to get it right and here's the specific measurables and if you don't, you know I've got to go a different direction and it's not personal, it's just business. And I've had people that I've let go and they've rejoined my company a few years later with a little higher level of business maturity and said, hey, the best thing you did is you were honest with me because everybody else was telling me I was doing fine and then I get cut in a round of layoffs. At least with you, I knew exactly where I stood. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. All right, lastly, what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? Man, if you go to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tom Ferry, Instagram Tom Ferry, Twitter Tom Ferry, you can email me, T-F-E-R-O-Y at TomFerry.com. 
but I will tell you that I get inundated with emails from clients every single day and they usually are my first priority and they are marked accordingly. So please don't be mad as I talk about modality, Joe, and speed to lead if it takes me three or four days to get back to you in terms of email because it's usually on a plane and flying someplace when I finally get that downtime. But mm. Facebook, easy because it's mobile. Insta, easy, because I'm on it all the time. Twitter, on it all the time. That's where I do the vast majority of my interactions. Well, sincerely grateful for you spending some time with us, talking through the lessons you've learned along the way from going from your original business to starting your own venture that you've had for 14 years and have achieved tremendous amount of success doing so. Lessons learned from identifying the commonalities among the clients that you had who are part of the top Wall Street Journal list for performance, uh, how you mentioned how there was no wrong way for them to generate a customer. So then we really got to know ourselves, our market, and really be honest with what is our skill set. And then talking through your YouTube aha moment and how you also stay on top of what's next. And you went through those trends. And then your priceless advice as it relates to real estate investing, where everything is a good deal in 20 years. So thank you so much for being on the show. Really grateful. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate it. And God bless you guys. Are you an investor who self-manages and talks to your tenants, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day stuff? Well, there's a better way. And that better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One will have the conversations over the phone with your tenants whenever they have issues. And it's also a way where tenants can pay you directly through an online service. Go to securepayone.com or even better yet, shoot them an email. The email is info, I-N-F-O, at securepayone.com. That's I-N-F-O at S-E-C-U-R-E-P-A-Y. ONE.com and they've got a free 30-day trial for you. Securepay1.com.